Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Hey everybody, this is Scotty Hines at Generations Church. I am a pastor here. Um, Alongside my buddy, my co-laborer, Jeff Luddington, the lead pastor here at Generations Church. And I just want to have what I call a random conversation. So we're doing the Heidelberg Catechism, right? We're doing our our podcast series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude. And we just went over Mm -hmm. uh, Lord's Day 11 and Lord's Day 12. And the two questions, uh, it it reminded me of a thought I've been kind of struggling, not struggling with at all, just... um, I buy myself a lot because I'm a salesman, so I think a lot, which, and I, you know, I'm a hyper person, so I, I just think and think and think. And I like the topic of assimilation in the gospel. And what I mean okay. is this how do I, or how do I present the gospel in natural ways is something I'm always thinking about doing. Mm-hmm. And how, to get people to understand its importance and where, how it needs to be treated. And I just wanted to get your pushback, and I mean, maybe your pushback, I don't think you'll push back, but I wanted to get your opinion and just chat about this. So this is how I presented it. The gospel is an unassimilating philosophy or way of life, not to be assimilated into worldly living, meaning the gospel is something that is unchanging, it's uncorruptible, and it doesn't assimilate to worldly practices. It is our job as Christians, when when we become Christians, to then assimilate all of our worldview and assimilate all of our beliefs and emotions through the lens of the gospel, meaning assimilate to the gospel. Does that question make sense, or is it too wordy? I, I think so. But let's let's so let's let's work on it. Okay, let's All work right. on it. So assimilating is the gospel. Does the gospel assimilate, not apply, assimilate to the world? Okay, so um, I would say no. I would say we assimilate to the gospel. Yes. So just as a definition, man, uh, assimilate. Just the real quick uh, Mac dictionary that you can pull up real quick. Yeah. Uh, assimilate is defined as a verb to take in information, ideas, or culture and understand fully, right? So the gospel doesn't assimilate anything. Gospel didn't take anything in. The gospel's complete. Yeah. It's like saying Jesus doesn't need anything. Jesus is complete, right? The gospel is complete. So we people take in the gospel. So we assimilate into the gospel. We take in information, ideas, teachings of Jesus, the, the culture of the kingdom, the culture of the, of the church, and not, the, not the flawed church, but the way God designed it, yeah. right? So we take in that, attempting to understand it fully. Now, it's a lifetime pursuit. We'll never understand sure. it fully, but we strive to understand the gospel as fully, as completely as we can. When we talk about God, we talk about God being an infinite being, has no beginning, no end, Right? But we're finite beings. We have beginnings and ends. We have limitations. God is unlimited. Yet God reveals himself to us, so he wants us to know him. Now, we can't fully know him because he's God. In order to fully know God, we would have to be equal to or like God. Yeah. So we're limited. We're finite, trying to understand an infinite being. But God has revealed himself to us, so he wants us to understand it. So he wants us to pursue that. So the gospel is this. The gospel is something that is an unending, deep work of God through Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit to us. We'll never get it all, but God has done it, desires us to pursue it, understand it, and assimilate into the gospel. Yeah, and see, I'm trying to think of ways uh, to really get people to see the gospel in its natural light, because I feel, I don't feel, I want to get away from that word, I feel, 
what I perceive in society is a lot of people, um, and we talked about this too in just our last podcast, we, we touched on it, is, is Jesus tends to be um, something we try to fit in our context mm-hmm. rather than taking our life and fitting it in his context. And what you see a lot of times is, for, like for instance, let's, let's take interpretation of scripture, right? Mm-hmm. So we struggle with societal issues. So then we try to assimilate the gospel. Well, the gospel, okay. Paul didn't really mean this sure. that he wrote in his agrarian time. Well, wait a minute. Let's take that logic and let's play it in reverse because I just taught out of Isaiah 43. Mm-hmm. God did not change one iota from Moses to Isaiah or from Isaiah to Paul. Right. Why would he then change from Paul to me? It's good. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I feel like sometimes we we just need to live the gospel and to learn to... to um, assimilate our lives in it, you okay. know how? Because sometimes, like if we're going to be honest, there's a lot of things in the Bible, very difficult. Sure, very difficult to process. Like, why is there even a hell? Like, God, if you just if someone doesn't accept you, can't you just get rid of them? Like, do we have to send them to <laughs> right. a hell? Sure, but no, the Bible teaches a hell, and we have to accept that. But there's, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So let me let, let me say this. So the gospel doesn't assimilate the God. So because that we're we're kind of overusing the word, I don't want to I don't want to be misleading. So the the gospel doesn't change as each century goes by and people change, right? The gospel remains the same. Jesus remains the same. You yeah. made the point, and you made it uh, out of Isaiah 43 when you taught that, that, that God hasn't changed, right? What he said to Moses, what he said, you used Abraham, in fact, on that Sunday um, in Genesis 12 or 17, whichever one you quoted. In Genesis 12. That, that God said this to Abraham. Well, he said it again. Through Isaiah, he said it again, clarifying it through Paul, and it's true today, right? So yeah. those two strong, those truths don't change. Liberalism in the context of the gospel has added what, uh, what many have called a trajectory hermeneutic. In other words, a view of Scripture that changes over time. So you draw a line from here all the way out through now, and you try and figure out what it means now. And so they said this, well, you know, uh, homosexuality, they would stone homosexuals back in Leviticus. Well, in the New Testament, they just said, don't do it. So they draw this line. So we draw it all the way out to today. Well, today it can be redeemable because people are different today or whatever. Yeah. What's well, horrible, horrible theology. So how do we do right? Your question was, how do we take the gospel and, and, and share it simply today? And so I would use this word, contextualize, right? So yes. The gospel is a set of truths. It's, a, it's about a person. It's about God. It's a set of truths. It's, it's actions completed by Christ, ordained by God, applied to us through the Holy Spirit. So much there. But, but still is, if, if we can be really basic just for a minute, and I'm sure that this is an incomplete statement, but it's a set of truths about God to us that Jesus has accomplished for us, okay? That the, yeah. Again, that the Holy Spirit applies to us. We need to take those truths and apply them in our context, not changing them, but yes. applying them. So context is everything. So I like, uh, I like the lens of Scripture when we look at idolatry, because we're in Isaiah, right? Yeah. You're, you, I'm teaching next week. You taught last week. I taught the week prior. Idolatry is a massive theme through, the, through Isaiah. They're literally carving wood idols and you know, making idols of gold and silver. They're literally making things with their hands that they worship, they bow down to, like an idol, a yeah. visible idol. Yep. Paul, you know, in, in, the, in Mars Hill, when he looks around Athens and he says, listen, I see you're very 
religious people, you've yeah. got all these gods, and you've got this one thing called this, this empty statue like to an unknown god, yeah. just in case we miss somebody, right? <laughs> these were real idols. Today, ours are no less idols in our heart, mm-hmm. but they're things like status, wealth, our home, our family. Oh, my kid got into USC. I mean, we just had that whole scandal where rich people were buying their, their kids' ways into college and thing. That was all over the news. Yeah. some popular people involved in it, right? That's a status thing. Oh, my kid got into USC. My kid got into Princeton or whatever versus, yeah, mine's going to community college or whatever, yeah. right? We can make anything an idol. It's a little more subtle because we don't carve them ourselves and then set them down and light incense and worship at them, bow down to them. But still, we bow down to, you know, money all the time, right? I mean, we we bow down to what, uh, um, when I say bow down, I mean worship, give our hearts to. uh, And and idolatry really is giving our heart to something that is anything other than God in a way that only God deserves. Yeah. It could be our wife, it could be our kids, it can be our money, it could be our job. Pastors, you and me... We can give it to, we can idolize our ministry. Absolutely, man. Right. You know, there's another great area in the book of Daniel where we fit, because I like what you said, context, context, like contextualize. Um, keeping things in context. And I think that's super key. And and as we're doing the Heidelberg and, and we're learning truth and memorizing, man, that gives you strong guardrails to contextualize your application. Let me give you an example. And I love this example, and he's becoming more and more of my favorite as I as I read uh, um and deal with junior hires, is Daniel. Mm-hmm. Daniel's taken in captivity. Now, mind you, talk about a different structure. He's under the law, right? right. And he gets presented. He's lit- Now, at all times, to really uh, compromise your faith, I mean, if anything, we're going to say, hey, God, totally get an exception here. The dude's literally been a eunuch, right. um, and he's being forced to eat, and if he doesn't eat this food, he's going to get killed. Total understanding. God, let me just eat this food. I'll take this ham sandwich. We're good. Mm-hmm. But Daniel's like, no, nah, man, we are not. <laughs> not going to bow. Right. And he contextualizes his faith in the most harshest... I mean, you can't paint a more difficult situation right. than Daniel. Right. I mean, and he contextualizes his faith and glorifies God and goes on to have probably one of the greatest impacts of yeah. all the prophets. So when I said, let's use the word contextualize, and I said all this stuff about truth, and I said, well, let me give you an example about idolatry. I never... I don't think I ever really said, well, what does that mean? And so... When we take the truth of the gospel and we apply it in Isaiah's day, idols were idols, these little yeah. things, right? We have to then take the same truth yeah. and apply it in our day. When we don't carve something out of wood or gold that we bow down and offer incense or whatever, so we have to apply the same truth. So we have to figure out our context. Yeah. The truth doesn't change, right? The truth of the gospel, God says, I'm God, there's no other. Worship no other God, yeah. right? There's none other, yeah. right? So I'm it, right? Well, some people made wooden idols. They bowed down to them. That was their way of not worshiping God. Well, today, you know, sports take us out of church on Sunday or something because we idolize a sport team or, you know, we struggle and fight to make enough money so we can buy this car or we can send our kid to this college or whatever we do. Yeah. Those become our idols, prestige, power, money, name, status, looks, image, whatever, right? Yeah, you're spot on. And so those, so we have to take the same gospel, the same truth, I'm God, there is no other, worship only me, and we have to figure it out in our context. Yep. How do we take the same truth and figure it out today, yeah. right? I think Daniel is a super big challenge to Christians. I think Daniel, when they are taken into captivity, 
in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, they do things that most Christians would never allow their kids to do. They learn all the Babylonian literature and worship systems, and they don't worship that way. They learn it all, right? They can pass all the tests. In fact, they, in, they excel in Babylonian culture yeah. as per Daniel writes, right? Yeah. But then there comes a line when they're asked to participate in that worship, and they draw the line and say no. In fact, Daniel is his Hebrew name, but the other three we call Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Yeah. They're all renamed. That's not their Hebrew name. I know. Names. Their Hebrew names are and, harder to say. <laughs> right. And all those names are based on Babylonian gods. Well, even Daniel, his name is turned to uh, Belshazzar. Right. Which is a, a Babylonian god. Which is Babylonian god Bel. Yes. That's like me saying, I'm going to call you Mohammed, and you know I'm going to name this person over here Joseph Smith, and I'm going to name this person over here Buddha. Yeah, Jezebel they, over there. And... Or Jezebel, right? <laughs> and they accept the name. Yeah. They take on that name. They do. But they don't take on the worship. I, I think it's a challenge to Christians how deep you can get into the culture without being conformed by it. Yeah. You're so, you know, it's a trip too. When he makes that small decision, hard, when I say small, it's, it's, it's a very difficult decision to make. Yeah. I mean, just read the book of Daniel Saints. You'll be blown away by this young man. However, when you read it in one reading, I love the end. He's an older man. Mm-hmm. He's got to be well into his 80s, close to 90. If he's taken, we know he spent 70 years. So, how old he was when he went to captivity plus 70. Right. He has the king, uh, it's Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belteshazzar. He has a very similar name to Daniel. And they're partying. Remember, they're just blowing the articles around and the writing, many, many Teku Farsin. The yeah. writing comes on the right. wall and Daniel walks in. And what I love about Daniel, when you just read that context, Daniel shows that man no respect. He had a lot of respect for Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. He had no respect for Belteshazzar. And he tells him, he just stands up for the face, dude, you've done X, Y, and Z. You are being, uh, what did he say? You have been found wanting. Yeah, you've you know, been waiting and found wanting. Yeah, you've been waiting and found wanting. And he shows no respect to him. And, and I think that's important. Um, he doesn't disrespect him like, hey, fool, doesn't come at him. But he just tells him like it is. And I just, I imagine yeah. a man who's committed to the basic fundamentals of his faith. He's now an older man with that confidence because he's lived through God's promises. Yeah. He's lived through keeping the small things pure or at least trying to keep them pure in his life. Yeah. And he has this confidence in the front of hedonism and evil and destruction. Because remember, uh, that's the moment when uh, Babylonian is being destroyed by the Medes and the Persians. Yep. And he just stands up and says, you are found wanting. And he, then he says, you're nothing like your, grand, your grandfather. And he puts him uh-huh. down. And I love how he just stands firm in his faith. And what's crazy about him is in the next kingdom, he rises to power. Daniel's an amazing man. He becomes Darius's right-hand man, which is amazing. But You know, that's a, and that's a great tie. We can plug Isaiah here. So Isaiah, the part that we're in, in Isaiah right now, in the forties in the, in the, you know, the chapters in the forties, right? Isaiah had written, he's died already, but his writings are now living on. His disciples are bringing his writings out to the people. They're in Babylon. Yep. They're on the tail end of it. They're getting ready to be released. Cyrus, who's the king of Persia, yes. right, the Middle Persian Empire, who is conquering Babylon, yep. is a tool in the hand of God to release the people. And there, there we go. We have Daniel, who is a man who was taken into captivity as a, with a young man of faith, maybe 13-ish, right? Yeah. Now, I guess, so he's probably in his late 80s or whatever, and he's, st- and he's a strong man of faith. He's lived through hell. Literally. You know, hell on earth, right? I mean, literally, though. But he comes out the other side a strong man of faith. 
right? So when we talk about contextualizing the gospel, you can live in any context. Absolutely. You can take the truth of God. You can apply it to your circumstance. You can live inside a culture not your own. Like Jesus says, I, you know, we're, you're not of this world, That's right. right? You're my world. You're my kingdom. You're, but you're to live here in this one so you can be a light for me. It's amazing, man. Well, thanks, Pastor Jeff. I really appreciate it. I always love talking theology with you. Hopefully our hearers, you know, just encouraged, uh, get you thinking more about your faith as well. Uh, thank you for listening to a Generations Church podcast. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes of our Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude. This is a special episode. More like it to come in the future. Please give it a share as well and write a review wherever podcasts are found. Thanks again and God bless. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church. G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at Gin Family Church.